The horrors of murder permeate the very ground they touch. Their stories linger in the soul, in the atmosphere, and their whispers are often repeated for centuries. Why is it that murder and mystery long live, while goodness and grace are sweet, but too soon forgotten? Could it be that our innate longing for justice, for balance, outweighs most? Or does the thrill of adrenaline pulsing through our veins when we hear the stories give us some unholy joy? Either way, it's stories like Alice Riley's The First Woman to be Executed in Georgia that haunt us in more ways than one. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. The floor creaked beneath me as I moved toward the door. The cool winter breeze made chicken skin on my arms. As I rubbed them to get warm, I glanced at the moon so far away hanging bright and full in the black sky. Nothing but the marsh sounds and the sway of limbs filled the air. It could have been peaceful, but a monster slept inside, buried in a warm quilt. I could almost see him, his head hanging limp from the side of the bed, hair wet, lips purple, eyes graying and lifeless. He deserved to die. All monsters do. The cracking of leaves and sticks caught my attention, my eyes landing on a horrific sight. A black horse neighed and raised its gallant head. As my gaze traveled upward, the figure of a man came into sight, a man holding his head under his right arm. My heart sped and my knees caved. On the dirt I scrambled to get up as the fiend rapidly approached. Not able to find my bearings, my mind struggled to make sense of what I was seeing. Then my mother's words echoed as if in a barrel, pulled from some forgotten memory. I remember the day when the Dullahan came from my father. Only a monster can kill a monster. The creature grinned at me, its mouth stretched far, too far, from ear to ear. I tried to swallow, but my throat was dry. I sat frozen in the wet dirt as it called out his name, the monster I'd been living with. Within moments, William stepped outside, his gown grazing the tops of his callous knees, his long white hair flowed gracefully behind him as he walked fearlessly toward the Delahan. It was then that I noticed the carriage the black horse pulled behind him, a dark carriage adorned with bones, candlelight through skulls. Its door opened for William. The cruel man stepped in without a thought, 
not heeding to the hideous, terrifying scene, as if he'd known the headless horseman his whole life and would follow this devil anywhere. The horseman whipped the stallion, and the two of them disappeared into the dark wood without ever exchanging a word. It's long before I can find my legs and push my way into the house. As I put another log onto the fire and strain to warm up, I heard Richard outside, the familiar sound of an axe splitting wood on a bruised stump. Oh, how relieved he'll be to know William is gone. But my heart never settles. No matter how many times I replay the scene in my mind, I still felt William inside the house, his evil still permeating through the wood walls, his wicked heart still pulsing in my ears. I moved toward the room, desperately needing to see the empty space on the bed where he'd lain. But when I open it, I have to grasp onto the knob to steady myself, just like in my fantasy. His head lay limp, hair wet, lips purple, eyes graying and lifeless. And I scream. Savannah began its history in 1733 at the arrival of General James Oglethorpe and the 120 passengers of the ship Anne. Georgia was the 13th and final American colony, named after England's King George II. Savannah was Georgia's first city. Initially, the people of Savannah had many freedoms. They were free to worship how they pleased, and slavery was forbidden. In addition, rum and lawyers were also forbidden. It's known as America's first planned city with wide streets and oak-filled public squares. There were 24 original squares, and 22 of them are still in existence today. If you take a ghost tour in Savannah, you'll likely make a stop at Wright Square, or the Hanging Square. In 1733, Percival Square, honoring Viscount Percival the Earl of Egmont, then renamed after Sir James Wright, Georgia's third and last royal governor. A monument sits in the center of the square, honoring William Washington Gordon. Gordon was the founder of the Central of Georgia Railroad. Another monument in the southeast corner memorializes Tomochichi, a central figure to Native American history in Georgia. He was also a friend of General Oglethorpe's. A monument was constructed under Oglethorpe's direction when Tomochichi first died, but years of forgotten history passed before another one was resurrected in his honor and is there today. Tomochichi and Oglethorpe negotiated a treaty for the land that would become Savannah. He died in 1737 and was brought back to Savannah to be buried in the center of what is now Wright Square. When Gordon's statue was erected in 1882, the original gravesite of Tomochichi was destroyed. Thankfully, Gordon's daughter-in-law made it her mission to have the monument erected to honor Tomochichi. Some believe the ghost of Tomochichi still resigned in Wright Square. 
According to Go City Tours of Savannah, if you circle the monument three times while saying his name, his ghost may appear. Have you ever wondered why so often the number three is associated with these types of legend tripping? And though the history of Wright Square is fascinating, what makes it most famous is the story of Alice Riley. You see, William Wise was found dead in his bed on March 1st, 1734. He lived on Hutchinson Island, across the river from Savannah. His death was the first murder in the colony. In December of 1733, Wise arrived to the colony. He didn't have the best of reputations, passing off a young woman as his daughter who was in fact a prostitute. But instead of forcing him to go back to England, James Oglethorpe put him at a cattle farm across the river, away from the public, and from William Wise's shady inklings. Psst. You know I really like coffee, right? And I consume a lot of it while writing and producing Fabled. If you'd like to buy me one ever so often, head over to patreon.com forward slash Fable Collective. Coffee, my favorite form of black magic. Two months before Wise was found dead, on December of 1733, Alice Riley and Richard White and 38 other Irish servants made the trip to the new colony. The trip from England to the new colony was not an easy one. The Irish travelers almost died, having nearly starved. The hope of a new life motivated them to work as indentured servants when they first arrived. There were rumors that Alice and Richard were more than traveling mates. Some believe they were lovers. At the very least, though, they must have felt the same about their master, William Wise. When authorities arrived at William Wise's home on that fateful March day, the elderly man's head was lying in a large pail of water, handkerchief tied around his neck, evidence that he was drowned and or strangled. Being the first murder in the lovely emerging city, everyone wanted to know more. Alice and Richard fled Wise's home, heading for Charleston. They wanted their freedom, but their sins, if true, would certainly follow them. Town recorder Thomas Christie wrote James Oglethorpe in England in 1734. In this letter, he mentions details surrounding Wise's death. He tells him that Wise's things were sold, and that they have suspicions that the killers must have stolen many of his valuables. He goes on to describe Wise's health at the time. He said that he was in a weak condition, bedridden. He mentions that Alice and Richard were performing daily bathing and grooming for the man because of his health. William Wise was known for his long, white, flowing hair, and it was Richard's job to comb it every day. And the young, only 15-year-old Alice was to bathe her master. According to Christie, Alice, by the direction and influence of Richard, one faithful day came in to bathe the frail Wise, accompanied by Richard and the two then proceeded to act out their anger and frustrations toward their devious master. According to Chrissy's account, 
Richard grabbed a handkerchief from the man's neck and twisted it until he was suffocated. And just to be sure that Wise was dead, Alice plunged his face in the pail of water. Christy believed that because of the man's condition, he was easily and quickly killed. Though Alice and Richard attempted to flee, they were soon apprehended and placed in the Savannah jail. A short time later, brothers Henry and William Parker and Edward Jenkins spotted a man running through the woods. They saw it to be Richard White, who had escaped from jail. They pursued him with the tools they had on hand, two hooks and an axe. They all snuck up on Richard, and Jenkins called out his name. According to Jenkins, Richard fell to his knees, completely surprised by the ambush. He begged for his life, but the men took him back to Savannah to the jail. While they were traveling to Savannah, they asked Richard why he was heading into the woods, and Richard gave them a strange story that would certainly affect Alice's reputation for centuries to come. According to Richard, he was looking for a woman who lived deep in the woods and who would offer him food and shelter. It all sounds a little witchy, doesn't it? And people began believing that Alice had an inclination for witchcraft. Richard was quickly put on the gallows, the first Savannian to be executed. He insisted to the very end that he was innocent of killing William Wise. Alice's fate was a bit prolonged because she was pregnant. It's impossible to know now, something maybe only Alice herself knew, who the child belonged to. Many believe that Alice was treated brutally by Wise, and perhaps even raped. Others argue that she had a relationship with Richard that resulted in the pregnancy. We can't know for sure, but the 15-year-old would give birth some months later to a baby boy named James. The child prolonged her life, but only six weeks after she delivered him, she was executed for the murder of William Wise. Jenkins ended his letter to Oglethorpe by making a strange statement about Alice. He said, quote, The most she had to answer for was by her being so wicked to confess such a thing that she was not guilty of, by which she imagined the death of Richard White. I find the statement to be perplexing. Could she, in fact, have been innocent? Storytellers love some juicy bits of mystery, and tour guides over the years have done a great job of inflating this tale into something much different than the facts. Local lore has said that it took Richard three days to die on the gallows, but there's no evidence to support such a statement. And despite other tales, there's no evidence to support that his body mysteriously disappeared overnight, like more of the stories we hear. On some of the tours, it's hinted that Alice had used her feminine wiles to convince Richard to help her murder Wise. But according to written accounts, Alice said that Richard had been the one to kill him, and it's not clear as to her own involvement. Because of the statement that she gave at the trial against Richard, Jenkins was saying in his quote earlier that she pretty much hanged him herself. During those early days in Savannah, there was a bit of an anti-Irish prejudice, and this prejudice may have caused the opinion of Alice and Richard to already have been swayed toward guilty. 
Thomas Coston was the head magistrate at the time, and he was known to abuse his authority, and it's believed he may have manipulated trials. He was not a lawyer and likely understood very little about English common law. In addition to the anti-Irish sentiment, the two of them were Catholic, which may also have hurt their innocence at trial. Though settlers were free to worship how they liked, most of Savannah was Protestant, and those who were not may have been treated differently. I suppose we'll never know how guilty either Alice or Richard were. It's possible that Alice acted in self-defense, and Richard tried to help. Or perhaps he knew how she was being mistreated and decided to take matters into his own hands. Either way, two young people lost their lives, and their marks on Savannah's history forever haunt Wright Square. It's been said that before she met her fate on the gallows, her last words were a curse to Savannah. And the curse supposedly is the reason why Spanish moss, which grows everywhere there, doesn't grow on the trees in Wright Square. But it's also been said that moss won't grow anywhere innocent blood has been spilled. People have claimed that Alice has appeared to them, mothers with their young children being visited most often. Guides will tell you that Alice is searching the faces of all the little ones, looking for her son James. People have claimed to hear cries and screams at night. Alice has been reportedly seen by more people than any other ghost in Savannah. There may be others lurking around Wright Square, too. Before it was a place of business, it served as one of the first burial grounds. Tourists walk upon bones everywhere in Savannah. It's up to you if you believe these ghostly tales. But of this we are certain. Richard and Alice were the first to be executed in Savannah, and their stories have lived on. The saddest and perhaps most haunting part of the story is what happened to Alice's baby son. Only a few weeks after his mother's passing, he too went on to be with her. The most memorable stories are those of tragedy. Perhaps it's their lingering memory that is another form of justice. Fabled is written and produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with research assistance by Whitney Zahar and music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. If you'd like to hear more Savannah Haunts, you should also check out episode 14, The Sorrel Weed House. In that one, I tell you about a personal experience I had there. Also, special thank you to Star for joining as a patron. I'm so grateful and I hope you enjoy your gift. As always, thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Melissa and I'm the host of The Haunted Ride, a paranormal and spiritual podcast. Every week I share some of my own personal stories and a few of yours as well. We talk about things from spirits to ghosts, demons, angels, cryptids, or any experience that just seems a little too weird and you honestly can't call it normal. What if you've communicated with a ghost? You feel other people's emotions? 
Maybe you're questioning if you're an empath, medium, or could even be a psychic. Well, we cover that too. So join me every Monday on your favorite podcast player and tune in as we talk about all the great and sometimes scary things that happen through this haunted journey we call life. Because ghosts are out there. And if you're not careful, they will get you.